Welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner and today I'm joined by Scott Snaith, non-executive director at 50 Cycles Distribution Limited, one of the UK's leading electric bike specialists. Scott, welcome. Great to have you on with us. Uh, Good morning. Good morning to yourself. Now, one of the issues that has recently brought the topic of effective leadership under the microscope is the recent coronavirus outbreak, of course, where we've seen some contrasting approaches. We have Giuseppe Conte in Italy, for example, who put the whole country on lockdown. And we have Boris Johnson in the UK where measures have intensified, but we are taking a less hands-on approach, let's say. The money's there and procedures are in place, but in many ways, we are just sort of waiting to see what happens Taking that away from politics, which approach do you generally prefer when dealing with difficulties as a leader? Do you prefer to dive straight in and get on top of the situation as soon as possible? Or do you tend to let things play out a bit and see how they develop before taking action? Yeah, I think um, it really depends on the situation and the environment. Um, And I would actually use both approaches initially. And the way that I would do that is, first of all, I get, you know, you have to understand that there is a problem, first of all, or, or what you're trying to resolve. And on that basis, taking the facts into account, um, you know, good leadership is adapting to that environment. So you would put good measures in place initially based on what facts are available at the time and then adjust that accordingly as you go along. Uh, and, you know, taking your foot off the pressure and seeing how that manages itself. And, and if it needs a little bit of diversion based on new facts, as you move forward, then, you know, you should adapt, you know, uh, as you're going along, really. So, yeah, I think, you know, the, the way that the government is acting at the moment is is, is pretty much on point and, and where I kind of expect it to be, which is kind of waiting for the latest information and then adapt the policy or, the you know, uh, you know the strategy along alongside the, the factual information that we get at the time. That's really interesting. So you're saying essentially that it's not as black and white as having, say, a proactive approach and a reactive approach. As a leader, you feel that you can actually sort of take a stance with both of those. Definitely, yeah. And I think sort of modern leadership, because the landscape of, you know, technology and, you know, at the moment, disease is sort of changing all the time. You know, it, uh, I think, uh, you know, to have that approach and, to, and really comes into sort of planning based on, you know, the actual facts and the evidence, you know, based upon you. And that can change on a daily basis. Yeah, it's a good reflection of, you know, uh, from medicine to military to business, you know, it's pretty much the same sort of format that you need to, you know, understand your environment and adapt to that accordingly, you know, and, and that's and to have that flexibility and to, uh, to have a non-rigid approach to that, I think is really important, you know, and then you, you, you know, you try and edge, edge, edge your sort of, uh, you know, your bets and your ratios and just reduce risk, basically. That's what you're trying to do and just get it more in your favour than, you know, by doing, sometimes doing nothing is as good as doing something wrong, mm. you know, so it's kind of good to have that perspective on things. Yeah, absolutely. Little little steps along the way, you know, is really important. Mm. So drawing on your own experiences then, Scott, uh, do you have any advice for leaders yourself who might be going through difficult situations, be that with the coronavirus outbreak or any other difficulties that may be facing their business at the moment? Yeah, I think it's a very tricky situation, you know, because I'm I'm actually involved in a couple of businesses myself, uh, you know, on a sort of of board level, and it's really important to have some kind of... um, you know, perspective and, you know, and, and go back to the basics of sort of leadership, which is sort of you know, being, 
being sort of a, a business owner or, or, or on the board, you know, it, it takes a lot of self-discipline, um, you know, and certainly if you're self-employed as well, you know, the self-discipline there is going to come into real sort of play as we move uh, move into this sort of landscape. And, you know, I think um, what you try and do, and I think what Boris is doing very well at the moment is kind of, uh, you know, instilling a kind of, still a kind of positive attitude on it, given the fact, given the fact as, as we stand, but, you know, also, I think there's going to be a lot of instilling of sort of, you know, it's kind of a wartime setting where the, the determination of kind of never giving up and sort of, you know, taking that one step each each time and, uh, you know, really sort of taking each negative and try and turn that into a positive, you know. Um, having a, a you know, really sort of a, a stance on things where uh, where you move forward um, in, a, in, in a progressive way, but kind of ensuring that, at each marker, you understand, um, you know exactly where you're at. You know, um, taking the facts is is, is is very important. So analyzing the data, uh, but not getting too bogged down in it at the mm-hmm. same time. Because obviously, um, some of the information that we're getting now is changed in the last week. So we have to be prepared that what we've seen in the past isn't necessarily reflective of the future as well. You know, and when we're looking at multiple effects of the economy, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really important to kind of understand the future within the next sort of 90 days, you know, because when you put put the brakes on the economy as you do, the compound effects of that, especially, you know, within the banking industry, it's going to be quite profound. So uh, I think the leadership side really is going to come into play on the economic side of things as well. And that's holding a steady hand, holding steady nerve, you know, and really, you know, try and progress really with no fear, but, you know, at the same time, um, ensuring that we have a real sort of strong plan in place. You know, I think what I've learned ever since sort of, you know, being in the, in the army cadets from the age of 11, um, you know, what I really sort of learned during those times just carried me all the way through business, um, is just to plan, you know, and, and, and to have a, a good plan in place and, and to try and, uh, you know, stick to the plan, but, you know, also at the same time, like I said earlier, is to be flexible. You know, you can't, once you make a decision, you have to be prepared to change that decision, I think. And uh, there's no kind of, you know, sometimes when the landscape's changing, it can look like weak leadership sometimes, but it's better to change and lose space a little bit than to kind of rigidly do the wrong thing, you know. And I think that's really important uh, for the government going forward and business leaders as well. And, uh, you know, I think be open, honest, uh, gain the trust of, of, you know, of your staff, the, the people in, in you know, uh, in society and, uh, you know, and be strong at the same time, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you did mention Boris Johnson and the importance of morale and that positive attitude going forward. Taking that into a business perspective, um, not just in light of the current climate, but in everyday situations, it's really important for a business leader to create that environment where there is positivity, there is high morale and where staff can thrive. That's really important, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. You know, and I think to look unrattled in the face of adversity is quite important as well, you know. So, you know, uh, as, as a leader, you know, you have to be confident in your actions, you know, even if you are a little bit unsure. I think it's, you know, good to kind of keep the morale of say, your troops kind of up, you know, in the face of, you know, extreme adversity, you know, and to always keep, you know, keep moving on the idea as well. So, you know, I think it's very important that, uh, that, that pace doesn't get lost and, you know, um, some serious things need to be looked at in, in the economy at the moment. And uh, I think it's that kind of willing determination to get through the other side. Because, yeah, I think, we're, you know, I think we are in for a, 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 a little bit of a stringent time. So just kind of, you know, self-rationing and this kind of thing is, is kind of very important, you know, and, um, you know, without 
causing any sort of, you know, I, I just think the way the public are acting at the moment, actually going around the supermarket, I think, I think we should be very proud in the UK about our acting. I think that's the reflection of the leadership at the moment as well. It all seems really calm. Nobody's overbuying on stuff, you know, panic buying and things like that. It's just a sensible reaction, I think, from sensible leadership at the mm. moment, you know, and it, you know, hopefully we'll get through this kind of, you know, un, un, un sort of scape, but the, the economical factors is something that probably needs to be focused on as much as the sort of disease itself, for example. Yes, absolutely. And of course, um, Rishi Sunak um, was uh, speaking alongside Boris Johnson uh, yesterday about um, exactly that. Um, we talked a lot about the qualities um, of a good leader um, already today. Um, but are there any examples of leaders sort of living or dead throughout history who've been an inspiration to you on a business level? Um, yeah, I think if we, you know, if, if we look at sort of, um, yeah, I'm a big, big, big fan of actually of, uh, of sort of highly motivated, sort of motivated leaders. A good example, um, it's sort of Dan Pena at the moment. I've been following a lot of his sort of, uh, stuff at the moment, which mm-hmm. is really good. Um, you know, you could pull out the sort of, you know, the, the, the main names that people sort of pull through in business, but it's kind of, um, you know, I think as you look around your own industries as well, you know, there's some sort of peers there that kind of, uh, you know, help help you get on. But on a on a sort of um, on a sort of military aspect as well, you know, I've always sort of uh, you know looked at sort of say Winston Churchill and sort of SAS leaders and stuff like this all the way through. You know, quite in, into sort of um, uh, the army cadets, as I say, from the 11 to 16, which instilled a lot of sort of leadership that you get through the military um, and really reflects in business. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you mentioned Churchill, of course. Um, would you say that his leadership style perhaps has rubbed off on your leadership style within business as well? Yeah, definitely. I think that having a sort of, uh, you know, a strong heart and a sort of a, a will and determination to succeed is, is definitely really important, you know. you know, And I certainly live by certain sort of, you know, mantras or affirmations every day that I've kind of done ever since sort of early sales roles, you know, since the age of 16 and 17. Yeah, and that's really important, having targets and goals and sort of having that persistently through your mind. You know, just some of the little things that I say to myself every way is sort of win, persist, succeed. Um, from my biggest failure comes my greatest success. One no is one step closer to a yes, you know, and all of these things give you a mentality. So even when the chips are down, you know, you can always give up and take that one last step, you know, and I think that's kind of, you know, the will to succeed, you know, can overcome quite a lot of adversities, you know, and I think that's... Uh, you know, that's important as you go through business, life, sport, battles, you know, uh, personal health issues, etc. You know, it all follows the same line of having that sort of will to succeed and not giving up, you know. And that's what makes you human special and humanity special is that, you know, we're very, very resilient, you know. And if you look at your children as well at the same time, you know, the, the resilience of kids and stuff, you know, my own sort of son and daughter, etc. And, you know, uh, I think it's amazing, uh, you know, what the attitude that people have nowadays. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're on for a bright future. Once we get over this sort of hump um, over the next couple of months, you know, I, I think we're in a, in a bright place. Technology is really taking off at the moment as well. Um, when we look at sort of blockchain technologies and um, automation and uh, this kind of thing, driverless cars is all going to come into play in the next sort of over the next decade. So, yeah, as a business leader, it's probably it's probably the most exciting time to be to be around in business. I'd say, and technology is a real you know uh, real amazing things uh, that, that are going to be happening over the next sort of decade. You know, so we need to be confident and happy and look forward on a on a sort of positive light. You know, try and. You know, look really for the future, look 10 steps ahead rather than the one step of doom, doom in front of you, you know, and uh, I think that's how we, how we should, should go forward. 
as a business, as a country and as individuals. For sure. And maintaining that positive outlook is uh, so important, especially uh, with the uh, the current climate, of course. Um, I am conscious of uh, running out of time, Scott, but before, of course, I do leave you, um, do you give me an idea of what you imagine the next year will hold for 50 Cycles, for your other businesses, and what you really hope to achieve in that time? Um, yes. Um, as I said, the, the, the technological side of the things is sort of really important to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're looking at... Um, Electric bikes and micro-ability, um is a real sort of a, a big thing that's going to happen. I think the electric scooter law has just changed over the last couple of days. or the regulations have been seriously reviewed on that. So um, if we're looking at uh, um, businesses that, 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 that are benefiting from what's happening today, is actually really pushing technology. So if you look at Deliveroo, and uh, I've watched this in Indonesia as well, a company called GoCheck. The actual um, the, the, the the courier business for applications and this culmination of technology for application and products, um, you know, is really going to take off over the next sort of few years. You know, so um, personal transport is is going to be a massive thing. Autonomous transport um, uh, and the way that the, the way that we interact with uh, with IT as well, and we've got five G coming. So the speed that we do things on our telephones at, at the moment is going to be sort of, you know, a thousand times quicker again. So you can imagine the implications of that as we go through smart technologies, digital technologies are really kind of going to take hold over the next decade. So yeah, it's a, um, you know, but we, at the same time, we have to adapt the economy. So this, what's happening at the moment isn't a bad practice run to sort of, uh, you know, having a sort of universal kind of standard of living for people, you know, and mm. I think that's what will happen is automation takes hold there'll be a more uh, a switch on sort of the economics of how we look at that, you know. But yeah, things will, I think the landscape of banking and finance and all this is going to change. And this may be a, um, you know, the sort of, the unwanted kind of stimulus to kind of do that, you know. But uh, yeah, interesting times for sure. Yes, definitely. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, Scott, having you on the uh, the program. And um, it would be great as well to uh, get you back on in a few months' time to see how those elements that we've discussed today have panned out. Um, thanks very much uh, for taking the time to uh, come on the programme. No problem at all. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, it's now time for our exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst, and he is speaking to my colleague, Jonathan White. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, 
whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? 
Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time it maybe overly strict for the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially, 
Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, a laugh that day. 
if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great and players. You... We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, Um, thinking about that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.